Hello, this is episode 196. Now, in this episode, I'm going to share with you how to create a comprehensive and effective design brief for your renovation or building project. This is something that everyone, and I repeat it, everyone needs to do, whether they're renovating or building new. And so it's definitely worthwhile learning what to include and the kinds of things to think about, plus the specific topics to discuss with anyone else that you're doing your project with, like your partner. And good news, you can actually grab a full transcript of this podcast episode as a PDF download by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 196. That's the numbers 196, 196. So be sure to do that. And then you can use that as a guide for creating your own design brief. So let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated and empowered as you design, build or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future one that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. Your design brief is a really critical part of planning your renovation or building project and creating one can actually be a misunderstood process. I've seen such a range of how these get done and how homeowners go about actually creating them. And I've also seen big challenges because designers and architects, they don't always do a good job of extracting the right information from a homeowner before they start their project. And so this means that they can miss things and they can actually waste time in the design uh, process because the design brief wasn't actually established properly up front. And I'm going to talk more about this and other mistakes that can be made with design briefs as we move through this episode. 
Now, inside my flagship online program, Home Method, I actually have a specific template to create your design brief. And we've done this inside the Home Method as an editable or a a printable PDF that you can actually work through and complete. I find that members really enjoy the exercise of completing it and having a record of their brief once it's done. And I've also been told that it's really brilliant for getting couples uh, who previously couldn't agree on things about their future home, actually getting them on the same page as each other. The exercise of completing it it really facilitates that constructive and productive conversation about their future home plans. And, you know, that's been really helpful for them getting on the same page as each other and then getting it documented. Now, this is the thing to understand. It's not only that creating a design brief is a necessary step in your project. It's also that the actual exercise of creating one, you actually physically going about doing this, that is also an important process for you to go on, uh, for you to actually go through in your project planning and for you to have this level of investigation and thinking as you do. Creating a design brief really forces you to think about and to write down specific things that are going to make your project goals far more clear to you and then also enable you to communicate the most important part of your project to other people. This will actually set you up for success because as you navigate, you know, choosing your team and moving through the design phase, then you're also going to be able to be sure that your design is delivering on all the things that you want it to in your future home because you've created this design brief in the first place. And creating a design brief is something I get a lot of questions about. So I thought that I'd use this episode to take you through the things that you need to ponder for your project so that you can get started on creating your own design brief. So let's start with some introductory information about design briefs first. What is a design brief? Well, a brief or a design brief, it's the document that at its simplest level, it actually outlines what you want in your future home. So this can be simply just a list of the rooms and the functions that you want. But you'll see from this episode that great design briefs can actually contain far more information than that. And that that information can be super helpful for anyone on your team to learn more about you, your family and how you'd like to live in your future home. As a document, a design brief is it's often written out, but it may also include images as well. And this is something that you can digitally create to share with other people, or you may have it written down somewhere and you've scanned it in order to send it electronically. Your design brief, it becomes the main point of communication of your wishes and your wants for your future home. And hence, it's a tool that you can use to get everyone in your team on the same page as you and to help them understand how you envisage your future home to be, plus what you want it to include. Now, why does your design brief matter and why do you actually need one? Well, It's because your design brief is this main point of communication that it becomes such a critical document and tool in your project. Communication generally can be a big source of a lot of dramas in any project and this can be, you know, when assumptions are made about things that aren't communicated or just things aren't communicated at all and it can also be when different people have different communication styles and techniques and they just simply can't convey their thoughts clearly or in a way that can be easily understood by others. There's many in the industry that, you know, even though communication is a key part of our everyday working life, they really struggle with communicating with their clients in an easy way. And, you know, if you don't have a lot of experience in renovating and building as well, or communication just isn't something that comes naturally to you either, then that can make your project experience really challenging too. Establishing good communication in any project starts with this. You actually figuring out what you want in your future home And then, you know, all of your thoughts, your dreams, your ideas, your likes and dislikes about it, then extracting that out of your head and out of your heart 
and into a format that others can read, interpret and then use to be able to help you in your project. And unfortunately, as I said, not all designers, uh, architects or even builders have a process of extraction that's built into their working methodologies. So when you actually know how to do this, when you take this into your hands and then you make sure that you do it, then you're going to set your project start up far better. So the important role that your design brief has as a communication tool is a big reason why it matters in your project. There's also a few other reasons why creating a design brief is important though. Firstly, anyone that you're working with will actually use your design brief to do a few things. One thing that they'll do is that they'll figure out from it whether you're the kind of client that they ordinarily work with. You know, a design brief will actually show them the type of project that you're planning, the kinds of ideas that you have, and then they can see whether that fits with the type of projects that they normally do and if you're going to be a good fit as a client. Designers and builders, they'll also use your design brief to figure out the scope of your project. And that basically means, you know, all the things that it's going to include, how big it's going to be, how involved it might be as a project. And then knowing that scope, knowing that information, that actually enables them, and this particularly applies to designers and architects, to actually figure out their professional fees to work with you on your project. Now, if you've listened to my other podcast episode about what should actually be in a designer or an architect's fee proposal, one of the things that I talk about in that episode is about a reverse brief. And this is where the designer learns what is in your design brief and what you want to do in your project. And if you haven't created a design brief, this will often come from just the verbal conversations that you'll have with them at a meeting or something like that. And then they'll include in their fee proposal or they should include in their fee proposal a review of it. It basically puts the brief back to you. That's why it's called a reverse brief uh, inside their fee proposal. And that reverse brief becomes the benchmark to actually identify what your fee is based upon. And then it gives a place to refer back to if changes happen along the way and explain why extra fees need to be charged for changes to scope. So if you haven't listened to that episode about designers fee proposals, that's episode 74. And I'll pop a link to it in the resources for this episode. So you can go and check it out. It's a really fantastic episode. Now, secondly, another reason why designers and architects get this design brief is, is and why it's incredibly powerful for your project is that when you actually create your design brief the right way, you can use it then as a place to return to, to get clarity as you move through your project. Now, it can take a long time to get through a renovation or building project, and it's going to involve a lot of decisions and considerations as you do. Having a design brief that you actually spent time intentionally thinking about and creating at the outset, that's going to give you a place to come back to um, if and when things get confusing and overwhelming for you. It'll give you a place to revisit and to assess whether things are moving along the right track. And, you know, it'll also help you see if you've forgotten or overlooked anything along the way. It's going to give you too the opportunity to assess whether your needs have changed at all from when you created that brief and whether you need to incorporate some new information in that brief in order to cover those, those changes. Your design brief becomes a really great guide in your project and many tell me that they're super grateful that they actually spent time creating it at the outset because it does give them that opportunity to achieve clarity on their project at tricky times along the way. So how do you actually create a design brief? Well, the physical kind of work of creating it in terms of what it turns, you know, what you actually make it, it's, it's pretty simple. You start documenting your thoughts around your future home and how you want it to be and how you want it to help help you live. 
And this is going to include the rooms and the functionality, but it can also expand into other areas as well. So really, this is about anyone who's working with you, getting an insight into how you and your family like to spend your time, the kinds of people that you are, and how your home's going to need to best support you in that lifestyle that you're dreaming about having. You know, as for format, as I said earlier, it can be digital or it can be analog. It's really up to you. It's not that long ago that I would meet clients uh, to talk about their new home or renovation and they'd pull out, you know, an old school scrapbook that they'd been collecting magazine clippings in to show their ideas, their wishes and their wants. There are lots of digital options these days, you know, and I've seen loads of different formats. There's, of course, you know, the PDF version that I have inside the home method. People have created Google or Word docs right through to spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations as well. I've even received videos from people and, you know, there's um, that, you know, there can also be, of course, inside those briefs links to Pinterest boards and house idea books where ideas have been shared with me on those platforms to illustrate the concepts that have been explained in the design brief. This is the thing though, whatever you create, it is best if as a document, it can be as centralized as possible. So this is really so that you're just not having to keep track of lots and lots of different resources and you can stay, you know, keep your sanity around all of those kinds of things. And it's also great for it to be able to be shared digitally. That's just going to make your life easier. So that can mean that it's scans if it's an analog style document. Uh, And, you know, obviously if it's a digital format that you've got ways of sharing it, and it being a locked document that doesn't that means that other people can't necessarily edit it without having a specific login to do so. And on that point, if you're renovating or building with your partner, it's great if that brief can actually be accessed by both of you so that you can both see it and you can both add and change things if you need to. Now, I've talked about this before, but I'm going to say it here again because I was actually talking with somebody last week um, was a builder and they were sharing with me how helpful they'd found this in working with the clients that they were working with. So this is something I've talked about as I said it's I really recommend that one worthwhile thing to do when you're starting out on your project is to create a project specific email address and you can just do this through a free tool like Gmail And you use this email address then for all of your project specific correspondence and your logins and all of those kinds of things for all the tools and resources that you access for your renovation or building project. And then you can share that email address and that the login to that email address and all of the other support services with your partner as well. This will mean that you actually both have access to all of the relevant information and it'll also mean that your own inbox, your own personal inbox or your work inbox isn't cluttered with project information and correspondence that can cause important information to get overlooked or go missing as well. Now, you can then create your digital brief using this email address as your login, for example, to House or to Pinterest, and you can keep everything attached to that project-specific email address, so then it's super easy for you to find all of the critical information that you need for your project. Now, another question is how far you can actually go with your design brief, and at the end of the day, you can go as far as you like. You know, this is ultimately your document. Some of the best design briefs that I've read, they actually read like stories, almost like the home is a character of its own or even another member of the family. And the best thing, you know, the best design briefs, they're actually, they're really great at helping me as an outsider to a family's life and lifestyle, get a really good understanding of a few things, you know, how they live, how they spend their time together and apart how, what their goals are, you know, the vision that they have for their future lifestyle in and beyond their home. And then all the ways that their home is going to need to deliver 
on those things and how they sort of see that happening. So don't be frightened about getting really personal and detailed in your design brief or if that's just not how you work and that might just be the kind of person that you are, then just make sure that your design brief really helps someone who doesn't know you at all actually understand how you tick and what you want for your home and for your future lifestyle. Now I'm going to dive into some of the questions that I actually suggest you ask yourself and the things to think about in the process of creating a comprehensive design brief because then you can start to think about these ideas for your own project and start to jot down these kinds of things into your design brief. So firstly, it's really essential to answer this question. What are you trying to achieve with this project? This question is really about you figuring out what your future goals are for your project and what actually doing this renovation or new build is really seeking to achieve or create for you in your life. Now, sometimes homeowners do get stumped on this one because sometimes the reason for renovating or building can, it can feel like it's purely being driven by, you know, immediate functional needs. Um, Maybe you've got a falling down house that needs work, or you're just simply needing extra space for a growing family. However, It's worth remembering that the money that you're spending on this project, on renovating or building your home, it could literally be spent on anything. And if you're like most homeowners that I meet and work with, the amount of money that you're spending on renovating or building, it's going to be a big amount to you. So it is worthwhile to think about how this project fits into your future lifestyle goals, your financial goals that you have for your future, and you know what you actually envisage for the next five, 10, or even 20 years. If you can write that down, The answer to this question can be a massive sanity saver in your project journey and it can provide huge clarity when needed along the way. And just trust me on this one, I've been working with people long enough to see how grounding and useful the answer to this question can be during a project as it rolls out. It's so worthwhile spending some time thinking about this and getting it down on paper. Now next, It's important now that you write down some information uh, about the background of you and your family and just give some context to who you are and, uh, you know, who this home is actually for. So, you know, of course, your home is going to need to contain and support whoever is living there. And so identifying who that is, it's going to be essential in any design brief. And that may just be you and your partner. It may be, you know, you, your partner and your kids. It can also include other people as well. You might have uh, family members, extended family members, friends um, that live with you. And it can also include pets as well. It's definitely worthwhile to jot down any pets that you have. Describe who you are as people. So, you know, talk about your ages, talk about how you spend your time both in and beyond the home. Think about what you enjoy doing together and then also the kinds of hobbies and pastimes that you might separately have as well. If you can identify if those pastimes uh, are also going to generate or trigger any specific space or design requirements in the home as well, that can be super useful. Have a look if you do have pets, whether they're inside or they're outside animals and if they've got any special requirements as well. You know, you might have big sporting hobbies. They can trigger uh, design requirements. You might have a love of reading or craft or music or technology. Those can trigger other design requirements. You know, your hobby may be messy and it may require a specific type of space or it may be something that you want to do whilst you're near, um, you know, other activity in the home, but it just needs a certain type of space and fit out in order to accommodate it. And this can be the same, you know, with you as adults in the house or with your kids and their needs and preferences as well. So it's definitely worthwhile wrapping your head around this and jotting it all down. 
Also now have a think about whether your family situation is going to be changing at all in the future. So, you know, do you plan to have any more kids? Could your parents, for example, or anyone else potentially need to move into the home with you and they'll need more space or a specific kind of space? You know, do you have overseas guests when travel is again freely available, um, actually coming to stay for extended periods of time? Or, you know, if a guest comes, do they just come for an overnight stay and that's it? And so does guest accommodation need to be self-contained or can it be at multifunctional space more incorporated in the home? Do you need to consider future accessibility for your home as well? Like how does that work into your overall plans? If you can write down a story of who you are now as a family and how that might change into the future, that will be really helpful for your design brief. Now, next, I want if, and this is if you're renovating, I want you to have a think about what you like and what you dislike about your existing home. So this can be really useful information for any designer to actually know what to preserve and protect in the design that they create for your renovation or what they really need to focus on changing or transforming as well. And this can be small things like, you know, particular features or fixtures that you might have in your existing home, right through to much bigger things like the way the light is in a specific space uh, or the colours or the materials on the outside of the home or even the way that it sits on the site. It's also time to think about the things that really frustrate you in your existing home. So the things that, you know, the things that you don't like, they're not just going to be limited to aesthetic things. They're also going to be about the spaces or rooms that really drive you bonkers in how badly they work for your family life. You know, these are the things that just make life more inconvenient and less enjoyable, or they actually impact your mood in the home as well. So make note of those so that you've got a record of them and it's really clear. Now, depending where you live and your council conditions, some things in your existing home, they may just need to be preserved and kept whether you like them or not. But it's definitely worthwhile you talking about this in your design brief, about these things that you like and dislike, because it's going to put the designer in your shoes as someone who's experienced living in this home and what your own tastes and preferences are as well. They're going to be made clear in that process too. Now, the next thing is for both renovating and for building, identify what you like and dislike about the site itself, about the land. So this is your opportunity to write down all the things that you like about your block of land, about the neighbouring you know, properties, about the street itself and about the surrounding area around your home or the block, empty block of land if you're building new. This is going to be a great place for you to think about all the features that you dislike about your site as well, both in, in it and on it and nearby it. So For example, this may include things like vegetation or specific trees that you want to preserve or that you want to get rid of. Um, It can also include specific views that you'd like to open up or that you want to protect yourself and shield yourself from. If you can give an insight into what the land is like, especially if you've lived there for some time, you know, in an existing home or you've been visiting it for a long period of time, that's going to be really useful for a designer or a builder to hone in on the things that they need to consider in your future home design and also in the construction as well because, you know, if you know of any specific challenges that you have when it rains or when there's big winds or storms or, you know, different seasons throughout the year, this is going to be the opportunity as well for you to be able to write those things down and actually let others know about some of the things that your future design and construction may need to accommodate so that the home can protect you from the elements, it can be built appropriately, it can deal with any risks that you might have on the site and you know it can really maximize what's great about your site or your block of land as well. 
Now, if you're not sure about how to think about the natural assets on your site, I'd really recommend checking out season one of the podcast because in it, I talk about designing for the movement of the sun. And then I also talk about the other natural assets to consider, such as your wind and breezes, your vegetation, your topography, the views overlooking and privacy. So I've got there a bunch of tips and resources that are going to help you learn more about your site and location and then what to consider in your renovation or new build to really make the most of those things that are available for free um, and can really make a difference to the quality and lifestyle in your home. So if you, we've actually created some fantastic uh, season um, season podcast indexes now. So if you go to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash season dash one, so that's the number one season dash number one. Um, I'm going to pop that link in the show notes as well. So you've got it, but you can just type in undercoverarchitect.com forward slash season dash one. You'll get a full index of all of the episodes in that podcast. And you'll also get a player that just has the episodes from that season there that you can just then scroll through and work through really easily. Now, the next thing to do is actually to write down all of the things that you want uh, in and from your ideal home in terms of the, you know, the space, the size, the number and the types of rooms. So, you know, it's really interesting. This is one of the mistakes that I see many make in their design brief is that they'll just do this list, um, almost like a shopping list of all of the spaces and rooms that they want, and then they don't really do anything else. But as you can see, this is just one part of a bigger conversation about your future home. It's still a very important part though. So because this is what's going to scope out the general size of your home and everything that you want it to include. Now, as you're writing these rooms and spaces down and thinking about them in detail, I want you to have a think about my five F's of home design. Um, so those five F's are feel, functionality, flexibility, furnishability, and flow. So the first one, feel, that's about how you want the space to feel or the room to feel and how you want to feel in that space or room as well. Number two, which is functionality, that's about how the space is actually going to need to work for you. And this is going to include its orientation and how it's designed for the movement of the sun. Now, you're not necessarily going to have to tell somebody all of this if you're working with the right kind of designer, but it's worthwhile you thinking about it. And if you've got a specific request, say, for example, because your site, you know, has an amazing view to the West you really want to have your living spaces oriented to the west to maximise that view, but you want to make sure that they're designed so that they protect you from that setting afternoon sun. And then a designer doesn't just go ahead and put your living room somewhere, you know, on the northern side or the northeasterly corner and ignore the fact that you've got that view to the west. So, you know, you can see why starting to think about functionality and orientation, those kinds of things can be useful for you briefing somebody else about how you might want your home to be. Um, the third F is flexibility. And so that's about how the space may actually need to adapt and change across the days or the seasons or the years in your home. I am a huge fan of you building less rooms and spaces and getting them to work harder for you. And you'll do this by building in flexibility. The fourth one is furnishability. That's about what actually physically needs to go into that space or room in terms of furniture and other items. Don't forget the things that you want to hang on the walls as well because that's going to talk, tell a designer then about window and door locations. And the fifth one is flow. And this is about how the space might need to connect um, from and to other spaces in the home. 
And that connection can be physical or it can be only visual or it can be acoustic and can be a combination of, of those um, connections. And it's also important to identify as well where you might want spaces to be disconnected or actually kept apart from each other too. Now, if you want to learn more about uh, these five Fs in detail and you haven't listened to season two of the podcast, you're going to love diving into it because in that season two, How to Design a Home, I actually take you through each space of the house room by room and I share what you need to do to get it right, the mistakes to avoid um, as you go through your home design and understand the qualities and the design of each room and space in your home. So you can check out the resources to get the link to that season or you can head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash season dash two and that's the number two. Okay. Now be sure in your design brief that you scope out the list of rooms and spaces that you want in your home and that you give some detailed thought to this. Be really intentional about the ideas that you have for the rooms and the spaces in your future home. Don't be afraid to write down your wishes and wants here at a detailed level. It's going to be really great information. And I've received some really nuanced design briefs that have just been so specific about certain things. Ultimately, I've found that that's been driven by a client who has just done a lot of research about their own desires, or it may be that they've, you know, they've had a great experience in another home that they want to emulate in this future design, or on the flip side, they've had a terrible experience in a previous home and they want to make sure that they avoid that. And so, you know, they describe in detail how they want rooms and spaces to be and to work. I, you know, I do see many homeowners though in trying to work out this list of spaces and rooms actually then try to create a floor plan to just really to, to, to kind of try and design and nut out how this might all go together. Now, don't feel that you have to do this at this stage. Now, this is of course going to depend on the designer that you're working with and how the info in this list of spaces and rooms and your design brief generally uh, will get used by that designer that you're working with. So if you're working with a draftsperson or even some types of building designers and you give them this list of rooms, they're literally just going to pretty much draw you what you've asked for. That's my experience. It's what they do a lot of the time. They'll just lay it out in a floor plan based on kind of how you've explained it to them. And if you have gone to the effort of kind of drawing up a floor plan yourself, oftentimes, particularly draftspeople, they'll just replicate that floor plan in a, in a sense that makes it workable. Um, However, if you're working with a, an experienced building designer or an architect, you'll find that they'll look at this list of uh, spaces and rooms as more of a direction. They'll then, they'll then look at sort of all of the other elements that you're describing in your brief and then they're going to interpret that into a design that delivers on all of those functions and spaces but actually might wrap it up differently than what you'd planned and ideally wrap it up better than you'd you know even thought was possible because it's going to be about it being site specific and bringing all of their experience to the table as well in terms of how homes work so you know this, this list of things, this list of rooms and spaces, you've got to remember that it's also going to need to be juggled with some of the other areas of your design brief, you know, such as your budget, for example, your specific site constraints and what that might, you know, sort of inform the design to do. And then also your planning and your building regulations as well. So depending on who you're working with, it's not your job to figure out how all of these spaces and functions will actually go together to create a great home. Um, plus meet all the conditions of your site and your budget. Ideally, you're going to be working with a skilled designer or architect who's going to help you navigate that. 
And if you're not, then you're going to have to do more of the legwork yourself to resolve those spaces and rooms and how they're going to need to fit together to satisfy your needs and requirements. And as a side note, it's those people, those homeowners who are doing this on their own, who are trying to work all of this out. That's exactly why I created my online program, the Home Design Masterclass or Home Design Masterclass. So if you are going this alone and you're just going to take a design straight to a builder or straight to a draft person and you're trying to work all of this out, please check out Home Design Masterclass because it'll help you understand this in far more detail. Um, that course is really loved by members who do it gives such clarity and how homes can be put together, whether you're renovating or building. It's a really great, um, it's a really great online course. And it's, you know, you just join, there's no expiry, and you can just work your way through it and see how I, how I go about designing a home and how I look at the site and how I think about the rooms and the spaces and all of those kinds of things. Now, let's get back to your design brief. So the next thing that you must include in your design brief is your budget. Many, many homeowners will get themselves into a world of hurt because they just don't establish their budget early in their process uh, and give an indication of it in their design brief. Now, I know it can be difficult early on to know how much your budget is going to be, especially if you've got some flexibility in, you know, what you'll actually spend based on what you feel you'll achieve for it. I do suggest though, and I'd hazard a guess, that you do have an idea of what you want to spend or at least a range or a ballpark. Because what I find is whenever I speak to homeowners who say, oh, we don't have a budget, we've really got no idea what this is going to cost, we really don't, you know, don't know any of that. And you'll reply to them, well, you know, how does $500,000 sound? And they'll say, oh, no, 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 that's more than we were thinking. And right there, they've shown that they had some idea in their head about what they wanted to spend and what their ideal budget range or ceiling might actually be. So when it comes to your budget, the real work is you actually finding out whether you can get all the wishes and wants that you have identified for your future home for the amount that you want to spend on it. And if you're like most homeowners I know and work with, your budget is not going to match the wishes and wants that you have. It's going to be less than what you actually need. You know, in my experience, most homeowners start out uh, with their budget being about 50 to 75% of where it needs to be for the list of the wishes and wants or everything that's outlined in their design brief. The biggest mistake though, the biggest mistake that many make is that they wait far too long to find out this piece of information about how far apart their brief and their budget actually are. And sometimes they wait until after they've invested money and time into designs and into professional fees. Now, the sooner that you can find out how far apart your budget and your design brief actually are, the better off you're going to be in your project. And so that means you're actually thinking about and identifying your budget early and putting it into your design brief. Because this means that your conversations, anyone that you speak to in a professional capacity early in your project can actually be informed by this information. And you can start to get input on whether your budget is realistic or not, and whether it needs to be adjusted, you know, to, to get what you want, or whether you're going to have to adjust what you want to in order for it to meet your budget. Now, the next thing I want you to have a think about is your time frame. So what time frame do you have in mind for making this project happen? So this is where you can think about in an ideal world, you know, when you are actually hoping to get your project started uh, and then uh, when you were thinking you'd actually get it under construction. And this is going to be important information, particularly if you're living in an existing house that you're going to have to move out of 
in order to get it renovated or you're kind of tag teaming, building a new house and moving out of an existing one. And then you also want to identify the ideal timeline that you have to be moving into your finished home. You may personally have a deadline that you're working towards or, you know, it may, it may be something like you've got a baby on the way or a parent moving in. And so this is going to be helpful uh, for you to get indications from the professionals that you're speaking with as to whether they can deliver according to your timeframes or whether those timeframes are actually unrealistic and what might need to shift and adjust in order to, you know, make your project happen. You may also find that your timeframes haven't actually taken into account, for example, a council approval process that's needed or other aspects that are involved with your site or your plans. And so talking about your timeframes can be useful in you figuring out what is going to be realistic, but also what your strategies might be in terms of moving through your project. You know, this is the thing, renovating and building. It can be a two to three year process from start to finish, from you saying, yeah, let's get going on designs through to moving into your finished home, two to three years sometimes. Um, You know, and even with the speediest of approaches uh, on the simplest of sites, it's rarely less than 12 months long for a custom new home or renovation project. And if you add to this the time, you know, at the time of recording this podcast episode, there's huge demand in the industry as well that's putting a lot of pressure on trades and suppliers and there's a lot of delays being experienced by those who are building and renovating. So having discussions about your time frame and doing that early in is really important. And so putting that into your design brief is going to enable you to do that. It's going to happen far more proactively if you put your time frame thoughts into your design brief. Now, I also recommend that you take the time to write down any ideas that you might have uh, about how your home may get built or how your project may roll out. And so what I mean by this is that this is your opportunity to identify if you've got any specific preferences for your project process and for the team that you want to pull together to incorporate into the workflow of making your project happen. So you may have specific preferences for builders that you, you know, you wish to talk with because you've been already talking with them or you've been following them online. You may wish to actually get your builder. Hopefully you do wish to get your builder on board during the design phase uh, to work with them collaboratively inside the pack process or the Paters consultant process so that they can advise your designer on cost and buildability as your design is developed. You may have a town planner that you've been speaking with about, you know, your council approvals or you might have other consultants that you'd like to actually use. If you have friends or family members that you're wishing to involve during your project or particularly during construction, make sure you write them down in your design brief as well because every professional and builder is going to need to know about this before they commit to working with you. And letting them know early is actually going to enable you to ensure that the project goes as you had planned and that it involves the people that you want it to. And that your professional team can also help you protect your risk in that process as well. For some professionals, this may be a deal breaker. So it's worthwhile that you actually bring it up early and you don't get caught out with nasty surprises down the track. Now, lastly, I just want to talk through some questions that I always added to my own um, questionnaires when I was working one-to-one with homeowners on their designs and I was collecting a brief from a client. I had these uh, questions at the end of um, my questionnaire and they can be really great for opening up some interesting thoughts for yourself and for conversation with your partner as well if you are renovating or building with someone. It'll help you put this stuff front and centre and I actually found that this really highlighted sometimes some of the most important elements uh, to aim for in any design and project process as a result. So it was always really interesting to see what came out of the answers to these questions. 
So the first lot of these questions were what I called feeling questions. And so this was them. When you think about your finished project, how do you want to feel in it? And what are you looking forward to most about it? I would get such great answers to this one. And interestingly, you know, I find that many hear this question and think that everybody's answers are going to be quite similar, but they're always nuanced and specific to the homeowner or family that this future home is actually for. Feelings, they could include things like, you know, comfortable, relaxing, welcoming, and things that are related to your home being a sanctuary and a haven for you from the busy, noisy world. Equally, feelings could include uplifting, inspired, restored, you know, things that related to how your home actually helps you you be the person that you want to be as you head out into the world each day. I found too that sometimes homeowners would actually get each family member to answer this question and then they would add their individual responses. And that was really great for seeing where a design could create a result that responded to each family member's desires. It was also really good for enlisting the kids in the excitement of planning something that can feel like an eternity to a kid watching a renovation or building project unfold and also watching their parents deal with the demands of their time and the stress and, you know, standing in showrooms and all that kind of stuff. So to get kids talking about what are they most looking forward to and jotting that down can be actually a really fun thing to do. Now, I'm a big believer that creating a house is about getting the practical functions right, you know, the spaces and the rooms. But, but, but creating a home, that's actually about nailing the feeling that you want to have in it and how you want it to help you feel. Houses put a roof over our heads. They keep us sheltered and protected. Homes, homes support and improve our health and our well-being and they facilitate peace and calm in our lives. So getting stuck into this stuff, into thinking about it and articulating it so that you can actually write it down in your design brief, that's brilliant for fleshing it out for yourself. And then also for finding designers who really resonate with it and will be a great match uh, in working with you and in helping you make all of this a reality. Now, another feeling question that I asked was this, what are your greatest concerns about making this a reality? And this was a great question too, because it actually helps you write out your fears. It's really common to have fears and concerns when you're planning a renovation or building project. It's also totally understandable given the time, the money and the energy required. Plus also what is at stake in the fact that you're creating, you know, your family's future home. And when you write down your fears in a design brief, again, this is the opportunity to face them, to see what they tell you about the work that you're going to need to do to allay those fears for yourself. And it'll help designers and builders see where you're going to need specific support to actually enable you to feel more confident and in control during your project as well. The most common fears, and I talk about this a lot on Undercover Architect, if you've done any of my online webinars or courses or anything like that, you'll have heard me talk about this. And this is where I often got this information from, you know, because I I heard a lot of responses to this question, hundreds and hundreds of responses to this question. And the most common ones were always around cost and budget. Uh, time was the second one. Um, all of the unknowns, not knowing what you don't know, and then just stuffing it up and having to live with the consequences of making those mistakes. So, you know, if you have any of those kinds of fears, please know that they are very, very common and they're very understandable. And the fact that you are here and you're listening to the Get It Right podcast, it means that you're already doing more than most to help overcome those fears too, okay? Now, before we finish up this episode, I just want to mention a few things that 
I'd really like you to remember about your design brief once you've got it all created um, so that you can use it to the best of its ability. And don't forget as well, you can get a full transcript of this episode, including all of the links that I've mentioned here, um, the extra resources and those kinds of things when you head to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 196. And that's the numbers 196. So here I've got five things to remember about creating your design brief. And as I said, this is really once it's all done, you've got a finished document and you're ready to get started on handing it out and going on your project. So the first one is that I want you to revisit your design brief often. Creating a design brief actually gives you the opportunity to process and discuss your thoughts about your future home and to write them all down. And then that will give you a place to come back to to review and revisit as your project progresses. So it's really important that you treat your design brief as a living document, that it gets revisited and looked at and talked about in your project with your team. Don't just create it once and then shelve it away in a drawer never to be looked at again. Use your reviews of your design brief to see if you've got off track, if your team has got off track, you know, and if there's anything that you need to be paying attention to. Many homeowners um, will often worry that they're going to overlook something But what I see can actually happen is that, you know, you thought about it at the beginning and you even jotted it down, but then with all of the decisions that you had to make along the way, you know, something that you thought about at the beginning just got forgotten and swallowed up in all of that other stuff later on. And so your design brief can be that detailed document that helps you remember all of these things and it's where you can keep checking back to along the way. Things in your project, they may change as the design develops and that may mean that your brief changes along the way as well. So that's totally okay. Just keep your brief updated with those changes and be really intentional about the decisions that you're making to stay on track with your brief or to step away from it and make those changes. Far too often, I see people just, you know, being led by well-meaning advice of others and then they end up creating a home that's not really of their own wishes and wants. Your design brief, it's so powerful because it can pull you back to what was really important to you at the outset and it can help you consider and protect your own goals and your own vision in your project. Now, the second thing I want you to remember is to use your design brief to actually filter out designers and architects that you're speaking to. So this is, you know, it's about the fact of watching how a designer or architect responds to the design brief that you've created, because that can be a really good indication of whether or not they're going to be a good fit for you and your project. I often tell my home method members that if a designer or an architect receives your brief and, you know, as I've seen happen, they say it's too long to read or they want to charge you money to review it, then that's going to be a really good sign that they're not the right designer for you. It's not to say, though, that you just go and email blast your 20 page brief document to all and sundry when you're looking for a designer or an architect and then, you know, see who bothers to read through it and comes back to you with some great feedback about how good it is that you've put all of this together. It's still really essential that you ensure that you're vetting designers and that you're sending this information out to designers and architects that you have filtered in some shape or form first and that you're doing some due diligence about who you get in touch with and who you give this information to. I've actually personally received inquiries from homeowners looking for a designer or an architect. And it's really clear to me that, that you know, that before they've got in touch, they've not bothered to do any research on who I am or the kind of work that I do or how I work or whether I'm the kind of designer or person that's going to be who they want to work with in their project. I suspect what they've done is they've just emailed the same information uh, to all architects and designers in their immediate vicinity. And you just waste everybody's time by doing that. Or worse, you actually end up in correspondence with totally the wrong designer for your project. 
So, you know, or the one who just had nothing on their plate, so they bothered to reply to your email. So, you know, once you've actually established some contact with a designer through doing some due diligence and getting in touch with them and and getting, you know, getting them to come back to in touch with you, then the design brief is going to be a really great way for you to show them what you're hoping for in your future home. It's also, and this is really, really worthwhile, it's also a really great way to demonstrate the level of intention and effort you've invested in getting ready for your project as well. It's going to tell them what kind of client you are and are going to be, and that's going to help you sift and filter out whether they're going to be the right designer for you, whether they embrace that or whether it's something that they shy away from. So, you know, I found that when I'd actually provided architectural services on projects, when I worked with people one-to-one, which I did for very many years, um, you know, before the last couple of years that I stopped doing it, if I received a brief from a homeowner, uh, especially, you know, even if it was a big thick document that they'd been putting together for some time and really collating and taking a lot of care in creating, you know, it wasn't that I, I wasn't necessarily going through, for example, all 20 or so pages in great detail at that point before I got back to them. What I was doing with the design brief as an architect, thinking about whether or not um, they were going to be a good fit for me and I was going to be a good fit for them, was I would look at their design brief and I would do these things. I would check to see if their location of their project is where I normally work. I would check the info about them as a family uh, and as people to see if I thought that they were a fit for the kinds of clients that I normally work with. I'd also check their budget to see the scale of the project and if that was a fit for the kinds of projects I ordinarily did. I'd check the list of things that they wanted that budget to include and that would then tell me if the very first conversation I was going to have with them was that there was going to be a mismatch between their brief and their budget that they needed to reassess and see how realistic that was going to be for them to take next steps. And then I was also reviewing how prepared they were for their project and the amount of research that they'd put into it so that then I could see what they needed in terms of support and guidance from me because my job is to meet them where their needs are at. So, you know, then what would happen is you'd get back in touch, you'd, you know, make some further contact and then the reading and the review of the detailed brief of all of that information, that would actually happen as we took things further in setting up the initial meeting and conversation to, you know, first meet and discuss their project. So, you know, know that this may be happening with some of the designers that you're contacting as well and that they may not have committed your design brief to memory before they meet you or um, discuss your project, you know, with you as well. So the key thing here is this. It's really important that they care that you've actually done a design brief and that you're you know, that they're actually interested in learning more about you and your future home and your goals for it by reading through it and discussing that with you, that they actually, they honour the fact that you've done this, that they appreciate the fact that you've done this. And if they don't, then that, I'd really encourage you to pay attention to that red flag. Now, the third thing I want you to remember is that images can be really good to include in your design brief. So, you know, sometimes you'll have ideas or wishes that are just simply easier to explain with an image that you might have seen in another project. So don't be frightened to uh, include images in your design brief. And as I said earlier, just ensure that they're easy to incorporate and keep track of. Um, So that may mean that you actually include the images in your brief, or it may mean that you have links to your digital resources, be it a Pinterest board or a house idea book, or even a Google drive that's pasted 
into your digital design brief. Just be wary though. I've sometimes received links to house idea boards that are really badly organized or Pinterest boards that are really badly organized that don't really tell me why all of these images are all pulled together. They just sort of feel like somebody just has been madly clicking at all of the things that they like. They don't really tell me much about sort of the aims and the goals. So make sure if you are sending this to somebody external that it's kind of clear why those images are in those Pinterest boards. Perhaps cull them down to have a simpler, um, you know, sort of more curated selection of images that you want to show the designer so that you're just not sending them hundreds of images for them to have a look at. Now, I've also received uh, briefs that have photos of the family in them too, plus photos of specific furniture or items that need to be thought about in the design. And so this is really great too for bringing your wishes to life in the document and helping someone get to know you before they start working with you. The fourth thing I want you to remember is to distribute your brief to other team members. So firstly, of course, your designer or architect, and then also your builder as a priority, but you may want to share it with other um, other consultants that you're working with as well. So, you know, it's one thing that you create a design brief, but it's pointless if you're the only people that see it. And your design brief, it's not only a document, but it's a communication tool. So, you want to use it to communicate with your designer, your builder and anyone else that you feel you know, needs to see it. Your design brief is actually going to be really great for getting everyone on the same page about the vision that you have for your future home. And your team members, they're all responsible for bringing their expertise to your project to enable it to happen. So it's your vision though that is going to drive the whole thing. So it's because of you that this isn't even happening in the first place. So if you show your team the destination that you're heading towards and you help them understand more about you and why this is where you want to get to and what really matters to you, then that's going to work really well in your project because then they can support and guide you and they can advise if those dreams are achievable with your budget and your timeline and then they can set the pathway with their expertise and experience towards that finished home whilst helping deal with all the legalities along the way. The fifth thing that I want you to remember is that your designer and your architect, designer or your architect, should provide a reverse brief to confirm that your brief is included in their fee proposal. So as I mentioned earlier, ensure that any designer's fee proposal has a reverse brief in it and that that reverse brief is a reflection of your brief and it incorporates the key things that you need recorded. This is going to help you know that the fee that they proposed actually covers the scope of work that you intend to do. So, and remember for the other things that you should expect to see in any fee proposal that you're receiving from a designer or architect, or in fact, any professional, uh, make sure you head to episode 74 of the podcast. And I've got a link for uh, that episode in the resources of this one. So that is how you create a design brief. So, you know, as I said, this is something I get asked about a lot. And I really hope that you found that run through of all of the things to think about and include in your design brief really helpful uh, as you go about creating yours. I've found that many feel that a design brief is literally just a list of all of the rooms and spaces that you want in your home. But as you can see, it can actually be so much more than that. So, and in fact, when you take the time to think about the specific areas and topics that I've posed in this episode, what you'll find is that it triggers a huge amount of consideration that's necessary for creating 
uh, a home that truly reflects you and that supports you and your family. This is about you being really intentional and thinking about these things is going to help you create that intention. And doing it up front before you start, that's going to put you in such a better position to navigate your project well and to ensure that you're on the right track. And of course, you're going to have this design brief to come back, review and revisit so that you can make sure that you're always returning to that place to get sanity and clarity as you make decisions moving forward. Now, remember, I've got a full transcript of this episode as a PDF download. It's got all the links and resources in it. So that can be found at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 196. That's 196. Uh, The number's 196. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.